Thank you, Zach. I am reminded that uh, when, especially when uh, a number of our folks are out, just how much of a uh, of a community project this is. That we are not a we are not a church uh, who we don't by and large work on the backs of just one or two people, but that that many people are engaged at many levels of service. So, uh, thank you very much uh, for the ways that you serve and minister in our community. Um, We have been working our way through Luke's gospel, looking at the life of Jesus. Uh, Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. So if you would turn with me there. If you don't have a a Bible of your own, please grab the one that's there in the chair and uh, you're going to find us on page 873, Luke 14. The big number there is the the chapter, the small number there is the verse. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and I'm actually going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to spend uh, our time in verses 7 through 24, but uh, but verse 1 uh, and following will provide some some background for you to help you understand uh, what we're going to be looking at today. So let's give attention to God's Word. One Sabbath, when He, that is, Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast... Don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, 
A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and so I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded, what you've commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. Like him, it is true. It is without error and completely trustworthy. And like him, it is good. It searches our hearts that we may be transformed. Let's ask for his help in understanding it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to hear. Help us to hear and believe. Help us to be rescued and renewed. We pray it in the matchless name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So, it's safe to say that that Jesus is probably not the guy you want to invite to a dinner party. Right? Here he is at it again. Uh, making things very awkward uh, for his opponents, right? And and the reason is, uh, the reason you wouldn't want Jesus at your dinner party, I know that sounds terrible to say, uh, but the reason you wouldn't want Jesus in a, din- in a dinner party is the same reason that these people didn't really want him at the dinner party. He is a master at exposing what's really going on, which is not what you want in a social situation, Right? In a social situation like this, there's certain rules of etiquette that we all play by. Uh, and, and we, right, we want to be nice, we want to smile, we don't want, right, we all have this unspoken rule that we're not going to talk about what's really underneath the surface. And so, um, so we just kind of let it go. Uh, but, but that's not what Jesus is after. And Jesus doesn't leave those things alone. Jesus is after our hearts. Uh, He doesn't simply want better behavior. He doesn't simply want us to be nice. His aim, rather, is to capture your heart and to make you new. And that requires exposure. And that's not really comfortable. Right? In order for us to really come to know Jesus... We have to be broken over who we really are, and that is not a comfortable place to be. Which is why a Pharisee's dinner party is the perfect backdrop, right? I just want you to think about this for a second. This dinner party is the 
This dinner party is the perfect backdrop, uh, right? We, we want to avoid being broken at all costs. We will do whatever is necessary to protect, to save face, to look good. And that's like the definition of a party. That's the definition of a dinner party. That's the definition of this dinner party. This is a, the host here is a ruling Pharisee. That means, uh, that he is, he would have been a prominent person in his community, a prominent religious leader who no doubt invited other prominent people. And so, this is, uh, I mean, this is all of the, uh, this is all of the, the do-gooders and, uh, the important people all hanging out together, um, and, and that means that everyone is on their best behavior. Uh, they're following all of the proper etiquette, right? You're, you're probably looking to get ahead by hobnobbing with other people. Uh, you want to be seen and to be known and appreciated. So you can imagine there's lots of smiling and laughing and pats on the back. And then there's Jesus. Uh, that, Right, everybody, uh, everybody's kind of living the facade, right? Wearing the mask. And Jesus just really isn't a very big fan of facades. Uh, why? Well, because he, he tells things like they are. Well, sort of. Uh, but that's not really a why. The reason Jesus isn't a big fan of the facade is because he knows that behind the, we're, we're hiding behind the facade that we're we're putting on the facade so that so that we don't have to be exposed so that what we are doesn't have to be brought out into the open and as long as we're doing that we will not be changed and so jesus speaks three different times in this passage and each time his aim is to uh, expose the inner workings of our heart and and to show right uh, that so the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they would be the kind of people that you would say, well, that's who we want to be. That's who we want to follow. That's the kind of example we want our children to follow. And what Jesus is saying is, no, it's not. Their way of life is empty show. Here is what real life looks like. Here is what my kingdom people look like. So Jesus is exposing the emptiness of the way we usually live and drawing us into what life is meant to look like under Jesus as king. Alright? So he does that three ways. Uh, first, he tells us to take the last place. Second, he tells us to invite the least people. And third... He tells us to come to the great feast to accept His grace. Taking the last place, uh, the, the very first thing that Jesus does uh, is he's, he's watching the way all of these people are clamoring over the best seat. So just to kind of give you an idea of what this room would look like, they would have been having, especially at a, at a great feast or a banquet or a special dinner, uh, the, the table would have been arranged in a U shape. Okay? And remember, these are, these are low tables. They didn't sit in chairs. They reclined on their, on their left elbow with their feet away from the table. So, uh, the, the, 
The man of the hour or the host would be at the very center of the the you. The best seat was to his left. The next best seat was to his right and so on around the table. Right. You had different positions and places of honor. And Jesus is watching. He's been invited to this dinner uh, and he's watching the way that these people are interacting, how they're how they're moving and shaking to to get to the best seat uh, which kind of reminds me of elementary school, right? You remember like once, once you claimed the seat at the table next to the most popular person, you didn't dare get up to go to the bathroom because somebody was going to take your seat, right? So you invented a little game like, I, man, what did we used to say? Basically, like you would shout out something that told people like, if you had to get up, you didn't, like, this is my seat. I get it when I come back, right? Um, which sound, sounds like middle school. Or high school. Or last week. Right? Um, adults really aren't any better than children. We just develop more uh, complicated ways uh, to mask our behavior. Right? To mask our immaturity. So, like, we still do this. Uh, we, just don't, we just don't do it as openly, maybe, uh, as the kids fighting for shotgun. Right? Everybody wants the first seat. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be honored. And Jesus says, don't do that. Because what may happen is that somebody more honorable, than you, more honorable than you may show up. And if they do, your host is going to come to you and say, get up. And you're going to have to get up and yield your seat to this person. And now that all the other seats are full, you're now doing this walk of shame to the lowest seat, to the last place. Right. And avoiding shame in the ancient Near East and first century uh, Palestine was huge, still is huge for most of the world's population. Right. We live by shame and honor. And so you you never want to be shamed. You always want to be honored. You want to honor yourself. You want to honor your family. You never want to bring shame. And so Jesus says you actually would avoid shame by taking the last seat. When you're invited to a great feast, go. But don't assume that you belong in first place. Assume you belong in last. And then your host will tell you to move up. Right? So, you know, just kind of a good rule for life. Don't assume, don't presume that you're more honorable than you are. Allow, allow someone else to honor you. Allow someone else to tell you where you belong. You take the last place until someone tells you different. And this is not really about false humility either, right? Um, if if you make a big show of taking the last seat, you're like, oh no 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 no, y'all y'all sit up there. It's not about me. It's about you. No no, I'll sit I'll sit over here. You don't have to hear from me. It's cool, right? That's that's you're kind of missing the point, right? You're missing what Jesus is saying. Verse eleven gives us the principle that Jesus is after. He says, everyone who exalts himself, who raises himself up, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, will be brought low. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is Jesus' reversal. And he says it lots of times. Uh, it would be a good, good rule for life. Basically, be genuinely humble and you'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be. 
Be genuinely humble and you'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be. So, now if we, if we just left it at that, we would, we would miss the point. What's Jesus, what's Jesus trying to do? We're always, we're always jockeying for position, aren't we? Every day, multiple times a day, we're always looking at the leaderboard, right? That, that scoreboard of everyone's position, everyone that we know, uh, and we're always kind of measuring where we are, right? So we, oh, she posted this on Facebook. I went up a few slots, right? But then I, I see her and it's like, I come back down, right? Our, our position's always changing uh, based on our perception of what we're wearing, how we're doing, are our kids behaving? Um, am I put together the way that I want to be? Always, always jockeying for position, which is exactly what's happening around this table. Here's, here's the truth. If Jesus is king, position doesn't matter. If Jesus is king, it burns down the leaderboard. Because what I can finally say, if Jesus is king, is I'm last place. Every time. My score is, is much worse than that leaderboard actually shows. You don't know the half of how bad I am. I can finally be honest about how lousy my life score is. Listen to how, uh, listen to how Paul talks about himself when he writes to his protege, Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, Paul says this, The saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I am chief of sinners. I am first. Man, how much different would your life look if you approached your relationship saying, chief sinner, chief sinner. Paul goes on, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him. Is that the kind of example you want to be? Imagine, like we like to talk about being an example. We want to raise our children to be good example. Good examples. What if you said, look, I'm, I'm just an example of just how patient God can be with a sinner. That's, that's how Paul sees himself. Paul says, the greatest example I am is just how patient God can actually be with a sinner like me. Right? If Jesus is king, we embrace humility and we take the last seat. And when we do that, we show that we understand the grace that we have received. We begin living it out towards other people. And when I am entitled, and when I clamor for first, when I stomp my feet and demand that I deserve better, what I'm showing is that I really don't know the grace of God at a heart level. So I can take the last seat, and when I do, I embrace humility. How about invite the least people? This is really kind of a variation on the first. But now Jesus, uh, 
The first was directed to the people at the party, the, the invitees. Jesus now directs this to the host. And he says this, when you have a great feast, don't invite the people who can pay you back. Don't, in, don't invite uh, your rich friends. Uh, don't invite your, your, your family, your friends, um, your brothers, because, because they're all going to pay you back. They're going to they're gonna return the favor in kind. Now, Jesus is not saying don't have a normal social life. It is okay for you to invite your friends and family over for dinner. Okay? Um, but Jesus is saying, be genuinely generous. That it is not generosity to invite people who can pay you back. That's simply just the normal way of life. Which, if you think about it, is, uh, is the opposite of how common etiquette works. If someone does us a favor, what's the, what's the very next thing we, th- we say? I gotta do it, I gotta do it back, right? Uh, we went to, uh, um, we went to some friends, uh, uh, some friends of my son play, were playing flag football on Tuesday night, he wanted to go see, so we went and watched the games, and, um, there were a couple of games, we watched both of them, and then, um, we saw some of our friends afterward as we were heading home, and they were like, oh, thank you so much for coming. Are you guys almost done with soccer? When is, when is his last game? Almost kind of like, we should come to that. So, like, there's this expectation of, like, oh, you came to our game, now we need to come to yours. That's how, that's how we work commonly. That's how common etiquette works. But that's not how Jesus works. Jesus says, just be generous and expect nothing in return, right? We kind of have this cultural karma thing going on. Uh, and once again, what does that do? It puts us back on the leaderboard. Oh, uh-huh, I did this, 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 right? But now when people return it back, it's like, do, 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 do. We're all, again, we're, we're jockeying for position on the leaderboard. So Jesus sets the leaderboard on fire by saying, invite the very people who can do nothing for you. The blind, the maimed, the disabled, uh, the poor. Right? These people have no financial capital. They cannot pay you back. They have no social capital. So inviting them may actually cost you something, right? There's, you may actually look worse in the eyes of the important people. You may lose face with those in the mainstream because you interacted with those. Man, did anybody else do that in life? How about Jesus, right? Who was criticized as a drunken and a glutton, excuse me, as a drunkard and a glutton by hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, right? So Jesus... Jesus says, uh, invite those people. Now, here's, here's the way that we think. I want you to notice, I want you to notice what it is that motivates Jesus to say this. Because here's, here's, here's the way we've been raised and we commonly think. I need to do that because it's the right thing to do. I remember my, uh, my human development teacher in college. There's a lot of things I forgot about college. Uh, but for some reason, this one sticks in my memory. My human development teacher saying that if we do anything good for any other reason other than just simply out of the goodness of our hearts, then it's not really a good thing. Basically, there's no such thing as charity or altruism, right? You, you, you're, you're not truly 
being altruistic if you have an ulterior motive. What she's talking about, right, is, is what uh, in teacher school we learn to call intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And the idea is that if you have to be motivated by something outside of you, well, that's not really the best motivation, right? The best motivation comes from, from in here. That we want you to do the right thing because it's the right thing. Now, that sounds good. And every one of us has been taught that. We teach our kids that. It sounds good. It sounds right. It, it, sounds, that, it sounds like something that Jesus might say. Except that he doesn't. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, Invite, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. You will have God's favor upon you. So why does Jesus say to invite those who cannot repay you? He said, because God will. Do you hear that? That, that we do it, that, that, that there is a reward involved. There is extrinsic motivation, motivation outside of ourselves, and it is the smile of God. It is the favor of God. This is, this is important for us to understand. Because if it's always like, well, do the right thing because it's the right thing, that's just a vicious circle that never really brings any change. Jesus actually motivates with a great reward. He says, you will be blessed. You will receive divine favor. You will be repaid by God when you rise from the dead. In fact, a better reward from God actually motivates both of these first points. Go back to verse 11. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. You want to be exalted? Humble yourself. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. I can expect something great from God. I'm not going, like this is not prosperity theology, that's not where I'm going. But I am saying that if we leave out God's rewards, then we miss the point, we miss the motivation. Um, so, humility now expects God's exaltation later. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't seek honor from people. Seek your honor from God. Humble yourself in front of people. Seek honor from God. Be generous now because God will reward you later. In both cases... Jesus is telling us to reject temporary benefit of man's approval for the long-term reward of God's favor. It's kind of like saying, you can have $5 now or $5 million later. Which one you want? That's what Jesus is doing. You can take, you can exalt yourself and get $5 now. Or, you can humble yourself and enjoy $5 million later on. What's it going to be? You can... You can invite your friends and get repaid now, or you can invite those who have no social standing whatsoever and be repaid by God later. See, we cannot, I, I don't want to over, I cannot overplay or overstate this point until enjoyment of God's blessing 
is what motivates us. A desire to see God's smile motivates us. We're we're always going to be shorting it. We're always we're always going to be motivated by something less than what God motivates us with. So, and, I, and I'm not saying that 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 we're being selfish because it's not really selfish to want to enjoy God more. And that's exactly what Jesus is offering. Jesus is offering more enjoyment of God, not less. And when we accept the approval of our neighbors, and when we, uh, we, we accept less than full enjoyment of God. Alright, invite the least, uh, take the last seat, invite the least people, and come to the great feast. So, uh, I'm going to try to make this a little bit shorter. Jesus says all of these very awkward things, right? He's calling out the guests at the party. He's calling out the hosts. And so you can imagine the crickets and people are just like uncomfortable. You've been at that party. You know how that feels. And so I don't know what it is that motivates this guy to start shouting. Uh, maybe he's had too much to drink. Maybe he wants to kind of minimize the awkward feeling. But he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, right? Probably assuming that he would be one of those people. So you're like, so you're like he's divert, like changing the, the, the subject. He's like, oh wow, this is uncomfortable. What can I do to alleviate the tension? Right? And it's almost like, are you hearing anything that Jesus is saying? Um, so this guy, you know, blurts out that what he, what he says, uh, there in verse 15 and, and Jesus responds by saying, mm, not everyone who thinks they're going to be at the table, is actually going to be at the table. Don't, don't presume your place at the table, because when the invitation comes, you may reject it. And he tells this parable about a man who put on a great feast, uh, and he invited people to come. And we presume that they said, okay, yeah, we'll be there. And so in the ancient world, before the days of telephone calls and paper invitations and social media, you would send out a servant when it was time for the party. And so he sends out his slave to go notify the people who were supposed to be there. And what do they do? They all make excuses why they can't come. And they make really bad excuses. Like the guy who says, well, you see, I just bought a field and I need to go and look at it. That's false for one of two reasons. One, who buys a field without looking at it? But let's assume that you did. Is it not going to be there tomorrow? It's yours, bro. Like, you can go look at it anytime you want. The same with the oxen. Well, I bought uh, five pair of oxen, and I really need to go make sure that they're going to get the job done. Who buys oxen without, without first checking them out? And hey, guess what? If you already own them, it's too late to check them out now. Right? These guys are clearly lying. They just don't want to come. And at least the third guy is a little bit more honest. He doesn't even ask for an excuse. He just says, I'm married. I can't come. <laughs> now, being married is important. But that, should, that doesn't excuse you from coming to a party, right? That doesn't, that doesn't excuse you for being rude, okay? Why, why do all of these people refuse the invitation? Because they don't want it. They don't want to come to the table. They don't want to be at the master's feast. 
Something else is more compelling to them. And this is actually a parable about the great feast of God to happen at the end of time. Remember, that man said, blesses everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So he's talking about the future, the future day of God when all of his people will be gathered around his table, assuming he'll be there. And, and so Jesus is telling a parable that points to that day. And he says, hey, the invitation is going out now. Don't find something more compelling than being at the table. Now, I don't want you to miss the grace of the master. Because when all of those people refuse to come, he says, cool, invite everybody else. Go get the poor, the lame, the blind, the disabled. Bring them in. They can have a seat. And when the servant comes back and says, hey, it's done, but there's still room, he's like, all right, go out to the highways and hedges. Go outside the city to where the travelers are, to where the shady people hang out, and go bring them in. Because I want my house to be full. God wants a full table. And if you refuse the invitation, it will go to someone else, someone that you probably think is less deserving than you. A lot of hay has been made over uh, the conversion of Kanye West. And whatever it is you may be thinking about Kanye, whether his conversion is genuine or not, right? The kind of general, uh, the, the general murmur is, wow, him? And I love what some person, what some person I read said. He said, I'm not surprised that Jesus would save Kanye. I'm surprised that Jesus would save me. Those are the people who come to the table. Those are the people who say, man, if I can just take the last seat, I'm just glad to get in the door. And and I've got friends. They probably don't belong either, but I want them to, to come with me. Right? That's That's the kind of feast that Jesus is hosting. The people who put on airs, the people who think they're prominent and important, they reject the invitation. They've got somewhere more important to be. Now, it would be too easy for us just to feel guilty about how, about who we're not having over for dinner. But that's not really what will change you and it's not really what Jesus is after. Jesus' confrontation is meant to force you and me to ask the heart question. He wants us to see that we are the poor. We are the blind. We are the maimed. We are the disabled. We are those who don't deserve the lavish banquet He's prepared. And He wants us to come in. Here in a minute, when we take communion, we're going to sing uh, an old hymn. Uh, It's one that came to mind when I came across this text, and um, some of you may be familiar with it. It's called, How Sweet and Awful is the Place. Now, that word awful does not mean like terrible or bad, but rather it means full of 
awe. Okay, in the, in the way that the, the word awesome used to mean that. And verse 2 says this, While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice? And enter while there's room, when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Twas the same love that spread the feast, that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. I hope that you're drawn by the love of Jesus this morning to enter while there's room. You can't earn it. It doesn't belong to you. You don't deserve it. But He freely gives it. So come. Let's pray. Oh Lord, save us from jockeying for position from establishing our worth and importance based on the expectations and approval of others. Save us from self-importance and self-seeking. Help us to see our own blindness, our own lameness. And help us to see Your love. That love that draws us in. Or else we would refuse to taste. We would perish in our sin. God, I pray that everyone in this room would see Your love. They would want more. That there would be nothing more compelling or important than knowing the love of God in Jesus. May we know our own unworthiness and the surpassing grace and joy and majesty that alone belongs to You. We ask it in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.